0: Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Morning, morning, y'all. Hey, I, uh, okay, I admit it, I had fun last week at all family gathering. I know, I'm brave for saying that. Um, but I will say I missed like the intimacy of our church. I really did miss the just ability to sort of like get to see you all instead of feeling like I'm pulled 100 directions and getting to hear Derek here up front, you know? You, I'm, I'm glad my cheerleader's back. Um, no, I'm, I'm just really excited that we're back here. Um, I also just want to say like I just so appreciate what Chris said and, and reminding us about the Justice Creed. I think about what Dr. King said when he talked about, like, we have to have a sharp mind, but we also have to have a tender heart, you know? Um, there's a, The reality is, is this world can just harden us. Um, the shooting in Maine, the shooting in Lawndale last night, um, these things can just be like noise. It's like, man, again, another one. I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with this, but um, yeah, that's the way that death wins, right? And we, we know that death hasn't won, and so we need to continue. Um, to seek that tenderness. So I just wanted to start with that before we jump in. So um, you also hear, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to need a little bit more water. I am a little scratchy this morning, a little bit stuffed up. Uh, it's not chicken pox again. Um, I did test for COVID. Um, we're good. Also not COVID again. So yeah, my guess is like malaria or something. I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into, back into Exodus 15 this morning. Now, you all know this, but there are some particular words, just like a single word by themselves, that can cause such a visceral reaction that they might need to be limited in how they're used, right? I know, like, you can tell when people were, like, forming their identity in, like, 2012 because they hate the word moist, right? That's a great example, yeah. No offense, Chris. or hey, Tiana, I guess. Um, but... Another word that I think just causes significant anxiety is the word test, right? Test. Just think about like, if I'm like, we have a test right now. How you feel? You feel your shoulders tighten up a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Clenching that jaw. I have this reoccurring dream, even still, where I am late for a test at Northwestern for a midterm, and I am just like freaking out trying to get there, right? And, and I want you to, like, I graduated college 10 years ago, and I still have this reoccurring dream, right? And yet, the feeling of being late and unprepared for a test, it lingers in the darkness, right, waiting for my most vulnerable moments. Now, another thing. For those of you who don't know, my wife, Jamie, she's a high school math teacher, and over the years, she has amazing stories, um, and I know there's a couple teachers in here. I know you do, too. There's some amazing stories about kids and what they try to do to get out of tests, Right? Now, I asked Jamie for these stories, and unfortunately, neither of us could remember the funny ones. She only remembered the ones that like made her so viscerally angry that they were like seared into her mind. And so I want to share with you some of those excuses that we have heard, right? Some of the more common ones. And some of you probably use this in school. I know. I know that, Derek. Um, You never taught us this, right? You heard that one? Nobody's ready. Nobody understands this. I wasn't here yesterday. As if, you know, all of the material for the test was taught yesterday. And so, you know, the last two weeks. Um, She said a lot of kids will be like, I forgot my calculator. As if a math teacher doesn't have a ton of calculators in her room, right? Um, It's Monday, right? How can you give a test on Monday, Mrs. Clifton? (laughs) Students will, she said her favorite thing is when students try to get her to talk about her life. So they'll be like, Mrs. Clifton, what are you going uh, for Halloween as, you know? Uh, And try to sort of delay getting into the test. Or um, did you listen to the 1989 Taylor's version yet, Mrs. Clifton? Right? And my favorite one, and this is my favorite, because it came from my own child yesterday. Right? So Alex, our son, is 13 in eighth grade. He's about to go into high school. And he had to take a placement test at Niles North. He had to take the PSAT. And Alex says it in his head that he's like not actually going to go to Niles North next year. He's, like, going to go. And so Jamie and him are about to walk out of the door. She's taking him to the test. And Alex goes, I don't even know if I'm going to Niles North next year. And we're, like, what are you talking about? Like, you still have to take the test, my man. Like, you still have to do a placement test, right? See, the anxiety surrounding a test is a universal experience, is it not? And it may be our last shot at unity amongst humans, I think. That is a joke. Um, and yet, when we arrive in our passage in Exodus this morning, it tells us this, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test, right? So this morning, as we begin our exploration of Israel post-Exodus and, in, and as they go into the wilderness, we're going to explore what does it mean that they were put to the test. With that, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this ability to just gather on a Sunday uh, and fellowship together and seek to put you uh, in your rightful place in the throne of our lives, Lord. So Lord, I pray this morning that as I speak that the words remembered are not my words but yours, Lord, not my glory but your glory. Help me to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. your son's name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump right back into Exodus but let me remind you, since we had a whole family gathering last week, where we are, right? So two weeks ago, we preached on the Exodus. And that is when God used Moses to part the sea, and the Israelites were able to get out of the enslavement that they were experiencing in Egypt, right? And we talked about Moses being a type of Christ, one who stood in the gap as mediator by taking on the sins of the people while wielding the power of God, Right? Moses is one who sort of like, obviously imperfectly, but points us to the coming king, to Jesus, right? Yeah. Our focus then for the next five weeks is going to be in this period of time where the Israelites are in the wilderness, pre receiving the law, but post Exodus, where they are tested in a few ways. And a few of our themes are going to be testing, but we're also going to talk about rest, and we're going to talk. In a little bit of a different way, which I'm excited about. i hoping it works out. But we're going to talk about wilderness as well. So with that, let's jump back into our passage for this morning so we can set the stage for what's going on. Verse 22. says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Now, we know the Israelites are about to grumble. And I think often we have this tendency as Christians to be like, You silly Israelites. Why don't you just listen to God? Or why don't you just ask God for water? It sounds pretty easy, right? And to be fair, we did just see God part an entire sea for them to cross in order to free them from slavery. So it feels like they could ask God pretty easily for water, right? If they know he controls the water. Um, But I I want you to consider the situation for the Israelites. Serious question. How many of you have gone three days without water? All right, keep your, no, none of you raised your hand. Good, I was gonna say keep your hand up if you're lying. Um, And if someone somehow did go three days without water, you were not in the middle of the desert, right? I honestly, I was trying to think about this. I don't, I mean, maybe like in like, when I was like 13 and just like downing Mountain Dew, but I was like, I can't remember a day where I went without water, like one day, right? The closest I could relate to this, I'll tell you a story. So we took a trip to Jordan, the country of Jordan, when I was working in college ministry. Now, Jordan's in the Middle East. Um, it borders the Dead Sea. Um, I have actually a little map here. So we were in Amman, which is the capital city of Jordan. We were just doing working on college campuses in Jordan, talking to college Jordanian college students. It was a lot of fun. We decided one of our weekends to travel down to Petra. Now, I highlighted Petra here as well. And so if you don't know anything about Petra, so we... We got to rent a van, and I got to drive in Jordan in the Middle East in this little van along this, like, open highway along the Dead Sea. It was super cool. Um, But I didn't understand any of the road signs. And so we took some, like, they have speed bumps literally in the middle of their highway. So we took speed bumps at probably, like, 60 miles an hour a couple times. Just, like, devastating to the van. But it was a rental, so it's fine. Um, So if you don't know what, yeah, insurance is great, right? Um, If you don't know what Petra is... Um, I have a picture here. Petra is this beautiful city that's just carved into the side of a mountain, right? You might actually recognize it from Indiana Jones. I've got the next picture. Um, this was the last... which one is this? Does anyone know? I don't know. Oh, Last Crusade. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? And so there, the Last Crusade was filmed here. We also stayed in Wadi Rum. I don't have a picture of that, but it's a desert. It's literally just an open desert. We stayed with some Jordanians there. It was super cool. It's where they filmed uh, some of the new Star Wars movies. So this is our group. Um, now, we, uh, this area was super stunning, super, super worth it. But I want to remind you that we, like predominantly pasty people, were in the Middle East in the middle of the summer, right? And I, I'll tell you, we got a little lucky because um, we, got the, we got to go on, like, a cooler day. So it was like 105 degrees, right? Um, And there's no shade. Like you were just in the middle of the desert. Now, we were also very stubborn people. Um, We all did bring a bottle of water to drink, but we hiked for probably like four or five hours just in 105 degree weather. Um, So we drank our first bottle of water probably in the first like 30 minutes, right? Just like profusely sweating. Um, And then they had stands throughout Petra where you could buy a bottle of water and we were all just like, no, we're good. Like, we are going to make it. We are going to be fine. And then we were not fine, right? All of a sudden, it's just like getting, di- every single one of us at the same time just like turned red, got dizzy, started to wonder like, what is going on? So the little stands made a killing on us that day because we just like kept every stand. We got a bottle of water, you know, as we're going through our hike. I, we, we get to the end um, and we're at the, back at the beginning, it was sort of like a big loop. Uh, and they had a little shop there. Um, It's super, like, touristy-friendly, so we were actually in no danger, you know what I mean, but still felt like we were. Um, So I get there, and I drink two, like, entire bottles of Gatorade. And I'm just going to, a little TMI right now, but many of you know my bathroom habits, and I am, like, (laughs) I am a frequent flyer in the Palace of Porcelain, right? Um, I, even after the Gatorade, I did not pee a single time that day. That was, like, (laughs) Derek said, what? Um, (laughs) I was so dehydrated, like incredibly dehydrated. And let me tell you, that was for like four or five hours in the desert once for one day, right? Now imagine the Israelites wandering through the desert. They don't have the privilege of stopping at a little stand and paying a dollar for a cold bottle of water, right? And you can imagine why they start to grumble, especially three days in to their story, right? This is understandable, is it not? And then imagine... They get Tamara, which, by the way, the word Mara is the word bitter. So they get Tamara, and the water is more bitter than the dark roast that Tiana drinks, right? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's, un- drink, it's undrinkable water, right? So it, it, it just is, is taunting the Israelites in their thirst. And so you can sort of put yourself in that situation. Imagine yourself in that situation. What are you going to do as well? And yet, Look at who they look to in their thirst. Verse 24. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, "What are we to drink?" They look to Moses, right? Let me tell you, this text doesn't exactly tell us how much time has passed since the Exodus event, but it has not been that much time, right? They know it was God who rescued them from Israel, or sorry, from Egypt. Because he was there in a cloud of smoke and a cloud of fire, right? And Moses attributes their rescuing to God. And not only that, literally right before our passage this morning, they sing a song that is sort of like thanking God for the rescuing. So they know that God was the one who rescued them from Egypt. And yet, their grumbling is turned toward Moses, right? So again, we can be like, Israelites, what are you doing, man? Like, you know. That God is right there. And yet, I again can relate, right? I don't know about you all, but I have this strange tendency to understand God's presence in really big moments in my life. And yet, for my daily provisional moments or for the smaller moments, I turn back to self-reliance or a grumbling spirit and don't even consider asking God to be a part of the moment, right? It's almost as if I believe this to be too small a thing to bring to God. Or if I bring it to him, what happens if something doesn't change, right? I'm almost worried that I can't ask God for things because I'm like, what does that say about my God if maybe something doesn't change that I don't get what I ask for, right? What conclusions can I draw about God as a result? And yet, God calls us to bring him into the small moments, In fact, our faith in the small moments, not in the big moments, is what determines the type of person we are and are becoming. The longer I live, the far more convinced I am that the small moments define us, right? Okay, back to the story. So the people grumbled against Moses, and what does Moses do? Moses cries out to the Lord. See, Moses models for us what it looks like to bring God in on the small moments, right? In the small text, that's my bad. Um, Moses then puts, or God shows Moses a piece of wood. Moses puts the piece of wood in the water, and the water becomes fit to drink. Is what the text says, right? Now this is the NIV um, version, and I honestly don't think that it like does justice to what is going on here. So I actually want to look at the ESV real quick. So it starts off very, very similarly, uh, and he cried to the Lord. The Lord showed him a log instead of a piece of wood, but same thing, right? Uh, and he threw it in the water. So same thing, but what does it say? And then the water became sweet, right? It doesn't say the water became fit to drink, but because I don't think that that actually captures the idea here as well as the, the idea of sweet, right? See, God did not just make the bitter water neutral to drink, fit to drink. God makes the water sweet, and what does this say about God? In, our moment, in this moment of need, God does not just meet the needs of the Israelites. He does not just provide the baseline for what they need. He provides what they need but makes it something enjoyable and life-giving, right? He makes the water sweet. It reminds me, and maybe somebody, for some of you as well, it reminds me of Jesus' first miracle, right? What happens? Jesus is at a wedding. His mom comes to him. And it's like, hey, the wedding is out of wine. I, she's showing a, a little bit of faith, even though Jesus hasn't done this before, right? I know who you are. Let's make something happen, right? And Jesus, despite being like, nah, it's not the time, Mary's like, it's the time, right? So Jesus gets the water in the basins that were used for ritualistic cleaning, and he turns the water into wine, right? And so they put out the wine, and what does the master of ceremonies say about the wine? He goes to the bride and groom and he says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now, right? See, Jesus didn't turn the water into two-buck chuck, right? He, he did the highest. That's, that's some uh, Trader Joe's stuff, just so you guys know. It's $2 cheap wine. Um, he turned it into the best wine, right? See, God does not just redeem from bad to neutral. He does not liberate the Israelites from bondage to neutrality, right? Life abundance flows from God, and because he is a good God, he turns the water from bitter to sweet. Consider our redemption. What happens when we become daughters and sons of God by following Jesus? God does do this, but he does not just cleanse us from the penalty of our sins. He does not just give us a clean start, right? See, he does redeem us from our sins, but he also has made us to be seen like the king. We have received Jesus' righteousness, his right standing with God, so that our redemption is not just from death, but it's to life. Not just from bitterness, but to sweetness. Back to the text. So Moses puts the log in the water. They get their sweet water, right, maybe some sweet tea. And then it says this There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, And here's the test if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So we arrive at the test. So let's take a few minutes to talk about tests. Now, like we said, tests can bring a lot of anxiety, right? But the most important aspect of tests is why they are offered. While they brought us anxiety, tests are offered by teachers for good reasons. Let me, so I'm going to defend my wife for a second, right, for giving tests. They provide you the opportunity to show off what you know, right? And a good teacher uses the information they get from the test in order to know how to teach the class moving forward. So, did the class master the information? If yes, then you just move on. If they didn't, you use that information to reteach things to the class, right? Now, bad teachers though, they don't, re- they don't care about the results, right? They teach, they give a test, and they keep chugging without using any of the info they get from their tests. So that's good and, good and bad teachers, right? And then there's evil teachers, right? Now, I told you all this before, but I started my, and I know it's super surprising, but I did start my Northwestern career as a pre-med student, right? And my favorite class, I've told you, was organic chemistry. In fact, I've told you again this, but it was my favorite class because I took it twice, right? Um, Some of you understand why that's funny on the way home, yeah. Uh, The second time in this class, I had a professor that was mad that our uh, class wasn't understanding the material. So he gave us a midterm without warning, and he made it incredibly difficult. I got a 12% on the midterm, right? 12%, right? That's out of 100%. Um, I was one of the highest grades in the class, which was also not typical for me. The median was 8%, meaning most of the kids did around an 8% on this midterm, right? Now, I will tell you, the teacher did get in trouble because his use of tests was bad and not for good, and all of us complained. Uh, it was pretty bad for him. But his use of the test shows the, the intentions of the, of the one giving the test matter, right? The intentions of who gives you the test matter. Now, there are tons of tests throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And just like my teaching examples above, the difference between some of these tests was based on the person. Offering the test. Use Adam and Eve as an example, right? The first test we see in the Bible is when God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He tells them it will be bad for them. He tells them this is not going to be good for you. And you see, this is a test. Why is this a test? Because Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And the intention of God was for them to be viceroys of creation. Now, viceroys are like many kings, is sort of the idea. Uh, They were to rule alongside God within creation. But God provides tests for them to prove that by faith, they will trust that what he says is good, so they can be good and righteous viceroys, right? God isn't just going to throw out bad kings, right? The test in this case is more like an opportunity. It's an opportunity to partner with God to do something really cool, right? To be viceroys in creation. Now, I, I want to give you a little bit of a silly example, um, but I think that will understand. This will help us understand a little bit better. I want you to think about babies, right? Just think about babies. Now, some of you have had a baby. Some of you have held a baby. At the very least, you have been a baby. <laughs> um, now, if you have spent any time around a baby before, virtually every parent, Almost every parent thinks that their baby is the smartest baby that has ever lived, right? Um, some of you are like, but mine is. Now, I hate to tell you, but only one of you in the world is right, right? But one way that parents show off their babies is by putting them through little, like, tests, right? Around people to show them. My favorite test, what noise does this animal make, right? You're like, what, do, what noise does a cow make, right? That's the easy one. What noise does a dog make? What noise does a pig make? This test is an opportunity for the baby to show off what they can do, right? And in many ways, God's tests in the Bible were similar. Like, show off your imageness. Show off how you are like God in the power of God, right? There were opportunities to live out their imageness. But there are also tests in the Bible that are traps. You see, in the story of Adam and Eve, after God tells them that they can't eat from that tree what happens? The serpent comes to them and says, did God really say that? Right? You see, this is another test. And yet, the serpent does not have the best interests of Adam and Eve in mind. He wants to thwart God's plans. So his test is not an opportunity. It is a trap. Right? So then let's go back to our test in Exodus 15. The test is that if they listen carefully to the Lord and follow his commands and decrees. He will protect them from disease. It is, it's kind of a weird thing, and we're not going to get super into like, what he means here, but I can talk to you after if you want. Um, but the, the Israelites did just see the plagues. They did just see, or the strikes. They did just see what happened in Egypt. And so maybe this is a little bit front of mind. And clearly their physical needs are in front of mind, right? They're asking for water. So phys- physical needs are front of mind. Regardless, the test is to listen to God, to follow God. And what flows from that? Health, life, abundance, right? God's test is what is going to ultimately be good for the Israelites, right? Now, just to be clear, like, health and wealth are not things that we should be, like, looking for. I just want to say that real quick. Like, this is not prosperity stuff. Um, But in this case, health was a thing that God promised, right? And consider this. When does the test come in our story, in the whole story of the Israelites? It comes after the liberation, after the rescuing, not before. Meaning the test isn't to see whether or not they deserve the rescuing, right? The test is not to see if they deserve the rescuing. It's a result of the rescuing, meaning it's a result of God's character from the jump. Or being able to take part in the opportunities of the kingdom are because we have been rescued and redeemed, not in order to be rescued and redeemed, right? But many of us know the story of the Israelites. Many of us know they fail the tests over and over and over. You see, throughout the Bible, there are stories of of people being tested by God. In situations, they pass, but many of the times, they will fail, right? And first off, God does not give up On them, right? You see, the Israelites are going to fail a lot in the next couple of weeks, and God continues to be with them, continues to be in their presence. But also, the story of the Bible shows that people on their own are unable to perfectly pass the test, right? The story of much of the Old Testament, the story that it tells is that humans have an opportunity to partner with God, but none of us are qualified. And yet, God knew this, right? So then the question is, and you know where I'm going, but the question is, why did God continue to test the Israelites, knowing they would fail most of the time, right? Knowing that they would not be able to pass, right? I, it's sort of like if I were your boss, and I'm like, I need you to do this task, but I know the task is impossible, right? And I'm just like, do the task, do the task, do the task, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail. It's a little bit weird, if not, like it feels some slightly cruel, does it not? So why is God continuing To give opportunities for the Israelites. I believe that God has shown us the history of the Israelites failing, and he allowed their failing in real time because it would make abundantly clear the need for one who could pass the test who was to come and make things right, right? See, look at Romans 3, 19, and 20. Now, we're going to get back to this idea about the law, but it starts to talk about the law. So, I just want to clarify, like, Paul here is going to use the word law here uh, the best way to use it is that the, the law is like the rules and commands and decrees that God is going to provide to the Israelites in order to understand how, what is good and what is bad, right? It, it, it's sort of even the same idea that God just said, where he's like, the test is, listen to my laws, decrees, and commands that he just said in uh, the, uh, Exodus 15, right? So let's look at what Romans 3, 19 and 20 says. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. That's sort of like a humility thing. Like, you see this law, you're not going to be able to keep it. You can be a little bit quiet now, right? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. In other words, the law, some of these tests were given to make us aware that we are not all that. Right? That we fall short of the glory of God, it makes us aware of our sinful nature apart from God. And like I said, being aware of that sin makes us abundantly aware of our need for one who could make things right by obeying the law perfectly. It makes us aware of our need for Jesus, right? You see, Jesus faced a lot of tests himself in his ministry. One particular test that probably has already been drawn to your mind. Jesus finds himself in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Which points to the 40 years that the Israelites were in the wilderness as well. This is an intentional reminder of the Israelites in Exodus 15 and some of the subsequent chapters because it reminds us that although the Israelites do not pass their test, Jesus was the promised one who does pass the test. First, he passes the test of the serpent in the wilderness whose tests are meant for his downfall. The tests are meant as traps, right? Mm -hmm. But not only that, Jesus encounters the tests from the Father. And the culmination of him understanding this test, it happens in a garden, in a place called Gethsemane. And in this garden, Jesus, knowing the pain and the shame the test may bring, pleads with God, is there any other way that this test can be passed? But what does he say? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus took on that test. He took on the test of the cross. And despite having all power and authority to get out of that test, he knew that his testing would lead to our saving, right? He took on what we deserved when we were unable to pass the test, the test of doing good and right to God, each other, and ourselves, the test that the Israelites failed in the wilderness, and the test that each and every one of us that are in this room have failed. And yet Jesus does not fail, right? He passes, and he offers his life for those who have failed the test so that we may go from bitter to sweet, from enmity, uh, being an enemy, (laughs) I can't say that word, with God to being daughters and sons of the one high and lifted up from death to life. And that rescuing, that redemption, does not come as a result of the test, right? It has come to us freely by God's grace with no requirements to pass. But, and I just want to be honest with you all here, that doesn't mean that the testing is over. In fact, we are called into more testing on this side of eternity, partially because this world still is not as it ought to be, right? That's why some of the testing comes but also because God wants to show us off and wants to give us an opportunity to live out our viceroy, right? Wants us to give us an opportunity to be partners with him. So our final question this morning, and then I'm in my seat, I I want us to think about and answer this. When we do encounter tests, how do we respond? What does God require of us, right? I believe that oftentimes when we talk about tests, We try to discern who the tests are from, right? Like, is this from God or is this from the enemy? And we can talk about that. But I think the more important thing, like, regardless of where the tests come from, we are called to the same answer, the same solution, and that solution is faith. Faith is believing God at his word and moving in that. Faith is seeing that God rescued us from Egypt from the bondage of sin. And so why wouldn't he turn that bitter water sweet, right? Faith is recognizing that my situation may be hard and the evils of the world may feel like they're closing in on us. But I will believe that God is good, that he loved me first. And as a result of that first loving, I can love him and love, love others wholly without hesitation here in the wilderness, right? And what you'll see, church, is that the more we step out in faith, the easier it becomes. Faith is a lot like a muscle, I found out. The more you do it in the big or the small moments, the easier it is to flex that muscle in the future. And it does not only become easier, right? That's not the only reason we do it. But the more we step out in faith, the more we begin to look like Jesus. It's a crazy thing, but I remember who I was five years ago, and I cringe a bit at some of the ways I moved in the world, right? I was a little self-absorbed. And yet, it keeps me humble because I know in five years, I'm going to cringe a little bit at who I am today, right? Right? I'll probably feel the same way, but we don't have to cringe. When we see real character change as a result of stepping out in faith, we can celebrate and be thankful that we have a God who's not just about saving us, but he is about growing us. He's about giving us tests, opportunities, to live out the calling to which we have been called, right? Each of our testing is going to look different, but our answer remains the same. Faith in a God we know is good, and just wants our best. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as He makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.